turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans 3. Last week we began looking at uh, Romans 3, 21 through 26. And we said that these were quite possibly uh, six of the most important verses in the Bible. Y'all going to exit the penalty box now? Your time, is, your time is up. Your two minutes is up. You can stay over there. What we see in verses 21 through 26 really is a, a detailed explanation of the gospel. An explanation of the righteousness of God. How could a righteous God justly forgive sinners? How can a righteous God forgive sinners in such a way that maintains his righteousness and yet declares them to be righteous? Why is that important? Because it, righteousness is necessary if we're going to enter into eternity with our God, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We must be righteous. Not good, not even really good. Righteous. Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It goes way beyond a, a, an external righteousness. It goes way beyond uh, externally doing the right things. We, we need a heart change. We need a heart transplant. We need to be declared righteous. And God, in His, in His grace, has orchestrated a way for sinners, enemies of God, to be declared righteous. And what I want to do today is we looked yesterday, uh, last week rather, at verses 21 through 24. And today I, I want to drill down specifically into, into verse 24 as we move into this, this week and all the events that would have transpired this week and as we head into uh, Good Friday and to Easter, I, I want to... I want to focus today on, on just one phrase out of verse 24. It's a word, it's a phrase that I think we would all say that we know. That maybe, if we're honest, we're a little too familiar with and don't really, really, truly grasp. And it's this. Look at verse 24. Paul writes this. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Some, some translations read freely given. That's what I want us to focus on today. What I want us to look at today is the, the grace of God in offering justification through the blood of Jesus Christ. The grace of God to offer salvation to sinners, to enemies. Five-letter word, grace. It's a word that I think we, we, we toss around a lot, but I'm not really certain that we grasp the, the reality and the depth and the weight of this word grace. I'm not convinced that we, that we grasp the enormity of, of, of really what it means, not only what it means about God, but what it means about you and I. We, we, we would call Christianity a religion of grace. We would say that it, it sets us apart, if you will, from, from all other religions. But do, do we really grasp what we're saying when we say that? Do we, do we really grasp that that means that God chooses, 
that God saves, that God equips, and that God, elite, that God leads, all, all of it is God. None of it is warranted. None of it is deserved. Grace. Just like we sang, just like, just like uh, Isaac played, it is grace that chose me, it is grace that led me this far, and it is grace that will lead me home. It's always about grace. We're not saved by grace and then live according to our own strength. We're not saved by, by the grace of God and then we need to muster up the rest. Listen, we're saved by grace we live by grace. We will enter eternity by grace. God keeps his promises because of grace. It's all about God. Listen, and here's the reality. God is the hero of this grace. That, that's the part that I'm not sure that we grasp. I think all of us would throw a definition out real quick about what grace means. But do we really grasp it do we really grasp that our salvation was completely 100 percent grace grace and today i, I want to unpack this i want to unpack this because it's it's immensely important heading into as, as god would have it heading into good friday heading into easter just the the thought this week if we would contemplate the grace of god and have a right understanding of the grace of God. Not only would it affect how we worship, but, but, but it, it ought to affect how we, how we interact with one another. If we really grasped that all of us were undeserved, unmerited, that our salvation was totally of God, it ought to impact how we treat one another, how we love one another. That grace received ought, ought to flow into grace given. This is a room full of people who were, who, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, listen, you were saved by grace, no merit of your own. Totally undeserved. That, that ought to change the way we live with one another. It ought to change the way we interact with one another. And my fear is that, that, that these mistruths have crept in to our definition of grace. He, I, I think about even James in 2.1. He says, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. This attitude of personal favoritism had crept in and was really in some ways polluting their faith. And I think it's very possible that sometimes subtly or not so subtly attitudes creep in and, and really pollute our, our understanding of grace and it impacts how we treat one another. Because listen, if I earned it or deserved it in any way, shape, or form, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to think that you ought to earn it or deserve it in some way. If I was good enough to merit it, then you ought to be too. But if I totally received it by grace, it was, it was totally by grace for me, that's going to impact the way I treat you as well because I'm going to be gracious with you. And, and we'll see, this. the Bible couldn't make this more clear. Look, look on your handout real quick for the main point today from from verse 24, the biblical truth of the grace of God is that it is God's undeserved, here it is, God's undeserved, here's the word to walk away from here today, unmerited favor. Grace is God's unmerited favor. 
Listen, not just towards, not good people, towards sinners who deserved condemnation. But it doesn't stop there. It is that which continues to fuel everything about our standing before God and our lives as believers. And here's the key, resulting in praise and worship of our great God. When we really understand grace, when we really understand grace, it will overflow in the praise of our great God. Because listen, if we earned it or deserved it anyway, 100% that's going to affect the way we worship. 100% that's going to affect our gratitude. Again, Paul says here, being justified as a gift by His grace. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That, that's what I want us to unpack with some couple of truths here and then unpack even those truths. And the first one you see there on your handout is God's grace is freely shown and offered to sinners through the gospel of Jesus Christ in spite of their lack of worth or merit. That God's grace is freely given. Think about for a moment what, that, what it means to freely give something. It, it means the other party couldn't demand it. It means that it, they didn't deserve it. it. It means also on the part of the giver that it was not given begrudgingly. You don't freely give something begrudgingly. You don't freely give something half-heartedly. You don't freely give somebody, without, listen, without joy. Listen, all of us have done things, if we're honest, all of us have done things begrudgingly. We know what that looks like. All of us have gone places, been places, done things that we really didn't want to do, but we did them anyway. That is not the picture of grace. Totally, freely, gifted. It's very important here that we realize and, and, and remind ourselves daily that God is not responding to anything morally good about us in offering us His grace. Nothing about us warrants His grace. It's totally spontaneous on God's part. Totally originating in God. Prompted by no notion of worth on our part. And the reality is it's, it's not just that it ends there. It, it, it's actually more amazing, as, as Isaac played, God's grace is more amazing than that. Because it wasn't that just that we didn't deserve God's grace. We actually, because we were sinners, grasped this. We deserved the opposite of God's grace justifying grace right we deserved condemnation so so it, it goes beyond just not only were we not deserving of grace we actually deserve the opposite that's what's amazing about grace verse 24 paul is saying god freely being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. Listen, to those who deserved condemnation. To the very ones who were 
Again, chapter 3, not righteous, not even one. None who understands, none who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed destruction or shed blood. Destruction and misery are their paths. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It is to those people that God offered grace. Enemies. Listen, it's one thing to show grace to someone that you don't really know very well, but you have no reason to, 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 to not show them grace. You have no reason to, to not give them anything bad. It's another to give grace to a friend whom you might, they might deserve or have some claim on your relationship. Another maybe a stranger that, again, that, that, that may be neutral. You don't know anything good or bad about them and, 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 and they need grace. We, we were in the, um, you know, we were in the line yesterday to, to get our kids something for breakfast. We were hurrying to go pick blueberries and we pull up to the line to pay and the lady says, uh, the car in front of you paid for your food. All right. So we're like, well, let's pay for the one behind us. You know? I had no claim on that. I didn't deserve it. Listen, had the people in front of me not paid for my breakfast, who cares? Right? I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I couldn't demand it. Hey, but suppose that suppose I was the greatest enemy of that person in front of me and they paid for my breakfast. That's a whole different thing. Because in far contrast of, of any of those circumstances, someone being neutral toward you or even someone being a friend toward you, in, in far contrast to those circumstances, it's something totally different to show grace to your enemies. It's something totally different to show grace to someone that rightly deserves to be condemned. And the challenge for you and I is to, to unfortunately let it settle in our hearts and minds that we're not morally neutral when it comes to God. We, we were not in some middle ground where it's like, well, I take it or leave it. it, it, it as if it, we're, we were not in some position where as if God... You know, he didn't have any good reason to not show us grace or, or he was obligated to us to show us grace. Those were not the situations. We were enemies of God due to our sin and our rebellion. We were worthy of wrath and of condemnation. And at that very moment, to those very people, God offered grace. At the cost of his own son. Think about that. You see it in your handout. God's grace is showing goodness to people who deserved only condemnation and had no reason to expect anything but condemnation from God. Grasp this. There, we had no claim. On the grace of God. No claim. 
And listen, we're, we're really good at talking about grace, especially when we're the recipients of it, right? We're really good talking about mercy, especially when it's coming to us. Because grace received really doesn't cost anything. Grace given, huge costs. Mercy given, huge costs. You know, and, and again, I, I, I battled with this in my own heart yesterday. Just, to, you know, probably bad for church growth, but it's good for my, good for, bad for my reputation in church growth, but good, good for my own. I guess I feel better talking about it and confessing it. But yesterday when, that, when we pulled up to that line and the lady said, hey, they paid for your breakfast. I knew what our bill was. Our bill was $7. You know what the first thing I asked? How much is the bill behind me? That's, that's the first thing I asked. You know why? Because I don't understand grace. And you know, you know what? I was angry. I was a little angry for the rest of for about four hours the rest of the day. You know why? Because that bill behind me was more than my bill. For about the next two hours, I was like, you know what? That grace just caught me. That thing just cost me seven dollars. You know why we pay for the thing next to me? Because my wife made me. First thing, my wife is gracious. First thing when that lady said, my wife said, "Well, let's pay for the one behind me." You know what? The first thing I thought was, I wonder how much they ordered. That was the first thing I thought about. I want to know what they ordered. That lady started reeling off. I'm like, how many hotcakes can one human being eat? Like, is there a yellow bus behind me? But you know why? Because I'm wretched. Because I'm wretched. Because I don't understand grace. I want to keep a score. I'm like, no, 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 no. Hold on. Let me pay for my own bill. If that's the case. But my, my fear is, again, we, we pay lip service to the grace of God. It, it's, it's our, it, it doesn't grasp us moment to moment every single day. And we think we've earned something from God. We think we deserved something, and it, it impacts the way that we treat others. That impacts the way that we live our lives. Again, if I earned it, if I deserved it, if I pulled up my bootstraps and got it done, then you ought to do the same. But if I really grasp that it's the grace of God and how desperately wicked we are, And the challenge, I think, for all of us is, is, is this, at our core, we would not say this, but, but there's part of us that feels like we were worthy recipients. That we really weren't that bad of sinners. That we really weren't that wretched. But if we're really honest about our hearts, listen to me, you would have, and my wife probably saw it, she knows me well enough, but you would have never known that in my heart I was upset over that had I not showed you, right? You'd have overthought, how, you'd have overthought about me. Now you're like, this guy is terrible. No, you're right, he is terrible. Oh, but the grace of God. The reality is that was probably the least of the issues Saturday. 
if you want to be honest. I mean, even as we preach right now, my heart is upset that the Masters is going on. Right, thunderstorms coming in early. They're playing it early. Right, my number one issue last night was, Karen, please make sure the thing is taping at 9 o'clock because the DVR says it's coming on at 3. And yet here Jesus has died, has been crucified. And you know what? You know what in my wretched heart I care about in some ways? I care about a golf tournament. And at some level, listen, at some level, here's what we fight deep down, subtly or not so subtly, we believe that we were worthy recipients of grace. We believe that we are better in here than, than those who don't care and are out there. And listen to me, when we buy that lie, it affects how we pursue people who are outside of the grace of God right now, meaning salvifically outside of the grace of God. Everybody receives the grace of God. Matthew 5, 45, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Everyone is a recipient of common grace. You woke up this morning breathing God's oxygen, grace. I'm talking about salvific grace. And at the core, we don't truly grasp what the Bible says about God and His holiness and His righteousness and His total otherness from us as humans. And we don't grasp, we don't want to, we don't grasp how wretched we are. And because we don't grasp how, grasp how wretched we are, we don't grasp the enormity of God's grace. The fact that we would sing grace, grace, God's grace, the grace that would cover all my sins. Here's the reality. I have utterly no clue, this is how sinful I am. I have utterly cl no clue how just how sinful I am. I'm so sinful, I don't even recognize how sinful I am. In and of myself. And I want to challenge us with a couple of truths to unpack the free, the free nature of God's grace there in verse 1 so that we will understand and appreciate the grace of God, that, that we would be a church who appreciates in our own hearts and gives it to one another, even people outside of these walls. You know, again, 1 Timothy says, do good to all people, but especially the household of faith. There ought to be something about our interactions amongst ourselves that ought to draw people to us. Like, I want what they've got. Do good to all people, but especially brothers and sisters in Christ. But it comes from an understanding of grace. It comes from understanding the free nature, the grace nature of this verse 24, the freely, that God gave it freely. And the, fir the first thing I want to unpack from Scripture today to help us understand that is this. We must agree, this is A, we must agree that there is nothing in and of ourselves that is worthy or demanding of God saving us. It's interesting, in Romans 12, for 11 chapters, Paul explains the gospel. In, in chapter 12, verse 1, but, but I urge you, brothers, in view of the mercy of God, to offer your bodies as a spiritual living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so then prove what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect. And, and then immediately, immediately, the first thing he says about a transformed mind in verse 3 is this, and do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think. But think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. 
one of the first things that Paul addresses from a practical outworking of the gospel. Romans 12 through 16 is a practical outworking of the gospel. The first thing he says about having a a renewed mind, a transformed mind is this. Do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think. Why? Because every single one of us in here are prone to thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be so arrogant as to say it, but we think it, and we live it. Because in deep, deep down in places that we don't like to talk about because it's bad for our character, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And when we don't grasp our sinfulness, and we don't grasp the undeserved nature of the gospel, here's the deal, we actually destroy the gospel. You see it in your handout. Grace ceases to be grace when it's deserved. That's exactly what Paul says in Romans 4. Now to the one who works, verse 4, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. You, you can't work. You, you, if you earn it, it ain't grace. If you deserved it, it's not grace on any level. I mean, Paul in 1 Timothy 1.5, he says it is a trustworthy statement deserving, or 1 Timothy 1.15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into this world to save who? Sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul is not here just giving lip service. Paul knew that was real. I mean, you walk around talking like that today, they'll medicate you. Low self-esteem, poor guy. No, 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 Paul, Paul knew how wretched he was. He, actually, he, actually, he accurately saw himself in light of the holiness of God. Go to Isaiah. Same response, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, I am undone. He fell on his face. But the flip side of that was Paul yearned for the gospel. Why? Because he knew how wretched he was. He knew that it was the only hope for salvation. So the flip side, you know, again, over here, understanding that he is how how unrighteous he is made Paul crave for the righteousness of God even more but it also propelled him into sharing that righteousness right because he knew that everybody else was on a level playing field that this was the way the way the truth that anyone who was going to be made right with God could only be made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ And the challenge is when we refuse to take seriously the notion that we are completely undeserving of the grace of God, totally deserving of the wrath of God, it affects the way that we worship, it affects the way we interact with one another. When, when, again, when we don't see just how wretched we are, and we've looked at this many times, you can, you can go to Luke 7, uh, and I won't read the whole, the whole story, but in Luke 7, starting in verse 36, you have this Pharisee, and then this, this sinful woman comes in, and 
the Pharisee offers nothing to Jesus, and, and Simon doesn't, and the, the, the woman keeps praising him and washing his feet and, and, and heaping all kinds of praise on him. And, and listen to what he says. He says, suppose they had two debts. One, five, one was 500 and the other 50 denarii. When they were unable to pray, he graciously forgave both. So which of them will, listen, will love him more? You see how love was tied to forgiveness already? And the, the Pharisee answered it correctly. And he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. Here it is. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. What's the connection between seeing your forgiveness and loving the Savior? You see the connection? But he who is forgiven little loves little. Listen, when we don't grasp our sinfulness and we think we've been forgiven little, listen, the answer, the response is we love others little. We're not gracious with others. Why? Because we haven't been, we haven't been, God didn't have to be that gracious with us. So I'll, listen, the degree to which you understand your own forgiveness is the degree to which you're going to love others and be gracious with others. Bottom line, if you don't believe that, take it up with Luke 7. We, we can dance around the issue, skirt around the issue. The reason we're not gracious with one another is because we don't grasp the grace of God first in our own lives. We do not understand how wretched we were and how much we've been forgiven. And we undermine the gospel. We, we believe that despite all of our sin, we're basically good people. That's the bottom line. And, 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 and listen, if, 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 we're not basic, if we're basically good people, then God really didn't forgive that great of amount of sin in our lives. And you see it on your handout. The thought of truly being wretched, rebels against God, completely separated from God to our sin, unworthy, listen, that never really settles with us and it impacts how we perceive the grace of God. But it also impacts the grace of God that we offer to others. It's called pride. It's called arrogance. It's called a lack of humility. Nothing in us warranted God's grace. It was freely given. Secondly, the second truth we need to understand with regard to this free nature, we must agree that God's condemnation of sinners is just and totally deserved by sinners such as ourselves. Not sinners outside, not other people, us. And, and this naturally flows from, verse, from truth one. If, if we aren't that bad, then, then God's wrath and condemnation it, it, it seems to be an overreaction. And if we were who we thought we were, then it very well might be. If we saw God's grace and we saw ourselves as God sees us and we saw sin as God sees it, again, it wouldn't be an overreaction at all. We'd be amazed by this grace. And again, we tend to overlook sin. We tend to overlook evil. We tend to downgrade it because we don't understand how offensive that sin is to a holy God. And our culture teaches us that discipline and punishment are last resorts. I mean, if it can be ignored, ignore it. 
I mean, we don't want anybody with bad self-esteem or a a low self-worth, after all. I mean, that's what our culture tells us. And it seems almost virtuous to overlook sin. We would say that that's gracious. The world we live in, it's gracious to overlook sin. It's not gracious to overlook sin. It actually is unloving to not confront somebody in their sin when you understand that that sin leads to condemnation. The loving thing I can do is come along my children, alongside my children and discipline them. Come alongside brothers and sisters in Christ who are sinning willfully. Now, we're not supposed to be inspectors where we're ever legal. I'm talking about an unrepentant, patterned, unrepentant sinner. We ought to come alongside that person. And the challenge is this. You see it in your handout. We tend to transfer, the word is transfer, how we think and feel about sin onto how God must think and feel about sin. If we think it's not a big deal, then surely God must not think it's that big of a deal. And the reality is, you see on your handout, we must allow, the reality that we must allow to settle into our hearts and minds is that God is the judge of all the earth, and he will always do what is right, including punishing sin, dealing with sin. Genesis 18, verse 25, very early on, they make that truth very clear. Listen, far be it from you, God, to do such a thing. You slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated like far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? That word justly means righteously. And God is not righteous unless he punishes sin, including ours. And if we're not careful, we become like the the Pharisee in, in Luke 18 when he says, Lord, I am so grateful that I am not like those other wretched sinners. I am so glad I'm not terrible like they are. Luke 18, 11. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And he goes on to give his resume. You won't treasure the gospel. You won't share the gospel. If you have hope outside of anything of the gospel, listen, you'll share that hope. You'll pursue that hope. Our only hope is the gospel. And not grasping our own sin, not grasping the the truthfulness of the gospel, that that righteousness only comes through Jesus Christ, that, that God is sending his son to die for wretched sinners. If we don't grasp that, incapable of making their way to God on their own. If we don't grasp that, the gospel will never be totally valued to us. And we'll actually be a little bit ashamed of it, like Paul starts with, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness, the righteous shall live by faith. Where did Paul start? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because he knew what it was accomplishing. Grace that's freely received is freely given to others. The third thing, see there, sinners are completely, realize this, completely incapable of reconciling our relationship with God on our own strength. We are incapable of getting back to God on our own. We, we believe that we can do something to, to either fix the relationship. We believe that we can do something to put God in a, in a pinch where he has to act. Or 
or that he can't say no to us. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. I mean, that's where the way non-believers and the, the Greeks in that day would appease their gods, would offer these things so that God had to do what they wanted them to do. That's not the God of this Bible. And, and there's a list. Church, reading the Bible, doing good things. Listen, we would say we're not perfect, but within immediately we would do those things. We would list those things. Why? Because we believe deep down that we're pretty respectable. That, that we're worthy of being saved. And you see it in your handout. We tend to believe that regardless of anything done in the past, we can fix it. We can fix it and put God in a position where he has to save us or should save us. That's why Paul started in Romans 3.20. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes a knowledge of sin. Freely. Being, verse 24, being justified as a gift by his grace. Being justified freely by his grace. It wasn't that God looked at us and said, man, I can't rightly say no. No, that's not the case at all. God wasn't responding to our worth. He wasn't responding to anything in us. It was freely given. And, and D is this. God is sovereignly free to give or not give grace however he chooses. Listen. God does not need you or me. God does not depend on you or me. God does not depend on us for his welfare. He doesn't depend on us for his greatness. He, he's not ob obligated to love us or offer anything to us outside of condemnation. We deserved wrath and condemnation. God operates totally outside of us or anything. Listen to Acts 17, 25. Nor is he certain. Let's start in verse 24. The God who made the world and all the things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Here's the reality. God does not, the word is depend. He does not depend on human beings for anything, nor to need anything from us to complete him. Not even, not even his grace can be demanded. You sit on your handout. The only thing we can claim from God is justice due our sinfulness. This truth, it may shock some of us. It may not settle well. God would be no less God if he saved nobody. Think about that. God owes it to no person to avert his wrath. He doesn't owe it to you. He's not obliged to show pity and forgive. In the face of condemnation, in the face of animosity, God offered us forgiveness. That's grace. And God is free to do that however he wants. Listen to Romans 9, 14 through 16. What shall we say then? There is no justice with God, no injustice with God is there. May it never be. For he says to Moses, listen to this, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, listen, it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Go to 18. He has mercy on whom he, ha he desires and he pardons and he hardens rather whom he desires. God's grace is free or it's not grace. Free to us, costly to God. 
And this was God's own free decision to make a way for sinners to be rightly redeemed from their sin freely, totally due to the grace of God. No person can claim it. No person deserves it. And, and, and just as God's grace would have it, there, there's a, I, I was sh- it shared, a, a buddy of mine shared a story with me. And I want to share it because it's a picture. It's very accurate. It hits way too close to home, actually. It's an unfortunate story, but it hits way too close to home. On April 10th, and some of you have probably heard about this story. On April 10th, 2019, a man entered a Waffle House in Gainesville, Florida, and he randomly began paying for people's meals. So he walks into a Waffle House, uh, freely paying for some people's meals and giving out $20 bills. Okay, a woman there in the Waffle House became angry because the man did not pay for her meal. Okay, and a man she was with stood up and confronted the man who was freely paying for other people's meals, confronted him. Okay, they argued and this man representing this woman who he the other guy did not pay his meal. This man killed the man because he did not pay for that woman's meal. Think about that. Man walks into Waffle House. That's why I don't go to Waffle House. No, I'm telling you. Man walks into Waffle House. Freely, freely of his own grace is paying for people's meals. A woman gets mad. And they kill him. They killed the man because he didn't show grace. That he, that he didn't do what he didn't have to do anyway. Do, do you see how deeply we don't grasp grace? That man owed nothing to anyone in the Waffle House. Nobody in that Waffle House could make any claim on that man's grace. Listen, had he walked by that store and done nothing for anyone, no less, no less a great guy, right? He had not wronged anyone in there by passing by, and yet he went in and graciously paid for some. The fact that he chose to give grace to some and didn't give grace to others doesn't make him a bad guy. Why? None of them, owed, none of them deserved it. None. His grace was his to freely bestow on whomever he wanted. And yet somehow we project that same attitude upon God that somehow God is ungracious for not doing to us what we didn't deserve anyway. Somehow we think we can make a demand on God. That somehow God is injustice for not doing what we think he ought to have done when we didn't deserve it. God can do whatever he wants to do in line with his holiness and his righteous character. His grace is free and totally unmerited, even to you and me. And the beauty of the gospel, you see it on your handout in amazement, is the reality of God's grace is that our judge has become our savior. Even more than that, I thought about this yesterday. I was praying through the sermon and thinking through it. 
Our judge has not only become our savior. Think about this. Our judge has become our father. The judge didn't just say, declared righteous, hope it works out for you. The judge adopted you as child. The judge took responsibility for the rest of your life. God has graciously revealed his righteousness open for all to see and take. That's the point. It's on open display. Jesus Christ crucified for all the world to see, open for all to see and receive. A picture of his grace. A picture of his mercy. But freely, freely given even to his enemies. Even to his enemies. Undeserved, unmerited. To those who actually deserved condemnation. Just grasp the grace of God. Of God, God loving his enemies. Listen, if we don't grasp that, when we get to Romans 12, 19, and, he, and, and Paul is going to say, love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. Okay, if we don't, when we read that, we start skirting around the issue. Why? Because we don't realize first that that was us. Why can Paul demand that believers love their enemies? Because they were first loved by their enemy. They, you and I were the enemies of God. You know what he did? He graciously loved us. Now, now makes total sense. In Romans 12, when, God, when Paul is going to say, love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. Why? Because that's what was first done to you by God. But if we don't grasp that we were the enemy who was first loved, now we come to Romans 12 and it's like, hold on. Whoa, I don't know about all that. I don't know about all that. Listen, to not do that, my, my daughter's favorite word, my daughter's answer to everything is what? Hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. She doesn't understand what it means half the time. Listen to me. That's a hypocrite, right? To receive something, to benefit from something, and not, not acknowledge it or not willing to give it. It's understanding the gospel. It's understanding the grace of God. But, but, but I want to say real quickly here, not only, not only, Paul doesn't mention this, he'll get to this, but while we're here, I, I, want, to, I want to say it, grace not only is, is sufficient and needed for our salvation, it's also for our sanctification and our lives, because that's point two. Grace, God's grace fuels everything about how we see ourselves and live as believers. There, there's a tendency to think we get saved by grace and then we just leave grace behind. Like we needed God's grace for our salvation, but to live out day to day as believers, that's something different. And, and you'll see in Romans 3, again, the gospel centers on justification of a sinner being rightly declared righteous, forgiven, but it doesn't stop. God's grace doesn't stop with just the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, you see it in your handout. Justification is the amazing transformation of a sinner from the status of con condemned to the status of adopted and redeemed. In Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. Grasp this. God's enemies have become his sons and his daughters. 
And God's grace continues to overwhelm us, even as we live. God's grace did not stop with simply redeeming you and then sending you off on your own and saying, hey, I hope it works out. Good luck. You sit on your hand out. God's grace is the source of our forgiveness. It's also the motive of our forgiveness. And here's what I mean by that. In Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, look at what he writes. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Why? So that he would be firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. There's an unbreakable sequence there. It doesn't stop. It starts with God's grace. It, in, it culminates with the praise of God's grace. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 12 and 13. In order that they, again, would be... It's, oh, start in verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Why? Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification, by the Spirit, and faith and truth. If it was for this that he called you through our gospel, that you may gain glory with our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we, we won't read all of it, but if you were to read Ephesians 1, 3 through 2, 10, you'd see exactly that, that, that it's he, the hero of everything is grace. But listen to just verses 3 through 10 of Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. You see the grace? Why? Here it is. To the praise of of the glory of his what? Grace. You see how grace is the hero? It, God's grace ultimately is meant to culminate in the praise of his grace. Not, not you and I. Which he freely, there it is again, freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Here it is. With a view to administration suitable to the fullness of the time, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. What began in eternity past by God's choosing and election proceeds to the current redemption of the saints who place their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, moves to the hope of the glorification and the pledge of the inheritance. That's what verse 13 says. The Spirit is marks us off. It's the pledge. Culminates in Ephesians 2, 4, and 7. Here's where the whole thing culminates. In Ephesians 2, verses 4. But being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us. Verse 7. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. What's this all about? Grace. The hero is grace. It's God. 
It always will, it always has been about the glory of God. Even, even our salvation, but beyond that. You sit on your handout, God's praise, and specifically the praise of His grace, is the ultimate goal of our salvation and our lives as believers. It was not meant to culminate with just being saved. We are to be, we are to be vessels of His glorification. We are to be vessels of His honor, of His praise, of His glory. Listen, everything about our lives, it's grace. And you see it on your handout real quickly. I give you some examples with the verses. You can look on it later. Grace, God's grace and powers are calling. The word there is calling. Galatians 1.6. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Grace. Secondly, God's grace empowers our lives as believers. 2 Timothy 2.1 He says, There you therefore, my sons, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. What empowers our lives and our strength? It's the grace of God. Thirdly, God's grace empowers our hope as believers. 2 Thessalonians 2.16 He says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. Again, that's why the writer would write, and it's your grace that will lead us home. Again, it's going to get us there. God's grace empowers our standing before God. Romans 5, 2. Through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into his grace in which we now stand. God's grace empowers our gifts for ministry. Romans 12, verse 6. Paul writes, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And he goes on to list them. Lastly, God's grace empowers our keeping. 1 Peter 1.5 says we are kept by the power of God's grace. Listen, why say all that? So that we will understand the enormity of grace. That our lives are all about grace from start to finish. Freely given, fear is gone, uncertainty gone, hope is present. Why? Because grace, His grace has led me thus Far and his grace will lead me home. And, and here's the point. You see it on your handout. All of this, why, why say this, Chris? Because it tells me that my conversion is no accident. But rather an act of God's grace born in an eternal plan to bless us with the free gift of salvation and sin. And God promises to carry this plan out to completion. He's promised. We're not an accident. Your salvation is not an accident. And nothing about our lives, nothing can thwart the grace of God. At no point can we take credit for this, especially our salvation. And Paul is showing this again in 327 of Romans, where the culmination of what he says, where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, by the law of faith. God, listen, if we would grasp God's grace, 
it would awaken a love for people in us that this world has never seen. A love of God, a love for others, a love for even our enemies. We'd be free to offer this grace. Why? Because we first received this grace. Think about it. What impact do you think this church would have that God would use this church to have if we understood that? Communities, schools, workplaces. John 13, 34 says, This is how the world will know that you're my disciples. How? Your love for one another. By the way, where does that love come? The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22. The fruit of the Spirit is the first thing he says is what? Love. Love. Who's doing that in you? God. Grace first received freely, given freely. And you see it lastly there. When we rightly grasp the grace of God that we have been blessed to receive, our lives will be lived in gratitude to the one whose grace we have received. And this grace will be given to others. I pray that by God's grace, this, that we will be transformed. Transformed. Big word. Transformed by the power of his grace.